0: Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'll be teaching this morning from verses 25 to 29. Solomon says, I applied my heart to know, to search, and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This is, one of, if not the most challenging passage in the book of Ecclesiastes to handle. Mainly because of verse 26 and what's said again about the lady there in verse 28. People have responded to what Solomon has said here in a number of different ways. And if you'd like, I could show you the print on the page where people say, see, this shows that Solomon hates women. Others have said that Solomon calls women irrational or that Solomon paints women as seductresses that are just out to get a guy at whatever uh, point is not is, is possible. And as a result, many call Solomon here an irrational old man who's lost his marbles. We just need to do a Thomas Jefferson and cut this passage out of the Bible. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, Thomas Jefferson, our second president, he took it, made his own version of the Bible. He went snip-snip with passages he didn't agree with and uh, put his own Bible together. It's still in print today, and that's what I'm referring to there. Well, these assessments that Solomon hates women, and Solomon says women are irrational, and they're all just a bunch of seductresses, these are foolish assessments. What they are doing here is that they are reading Solomon here from the standpoint of of their sinful worldviews. That's what's going on. They have their view of what life is and their view of what they think truth is. And then they come to this passage and they interpret that in light of their worldview. And it's completely backwards. Whose word is this book? This is God's word, isn't it? And so rather than us coming to this passage and saying, this can't be, he's irrational, he's an old man, he's lost his marbles, we need to stop, understand what's being said, and look at what the Lord says similarly in other passages. Here Solomon is teaching an important truth that we need to hear and heed because we live in this same world. He made a detailed investigation, verse 25 tells us. I applied my heart to know, to search and seek wisdom, to know the wickedness of folly and foolishness of madness. And the results are in as a result of his detailed investigation. At the top of your sheet there, and yeah, I gave you a little bit bigger handout today, didn't I? Sometimes I'll give you a a half a page, sometimes one or two half pages. I gave you the whole booklet, didn't I? Why did I do that? Well, because this is a challenging passage, as I said. And you need to understand it. That's one of my goals here as, as your pastor, is to help you understand the Scripture. Not only so that you can understand it, but so that you can take the same truth and minister that truth to others. These are my goals. Because as Christ's church, we need to know God's truth and rightly apply it. The top of your sheet there is the big idea that little finger pointing. That's given us the, the in, in one sentence, what is this passage saying? He's saying, neither righteousness nor wisdom is ever found. Among the immoral. Now, there's a word here that uh, if we had a little bit different congregation, um, I would add to it. I would get a little bit more detailed. And I would say something along the lines of that intimate relationship that should only occur between a husband and wife. But because we have, as uh, my wife and I would call them, little ears present, I'm going to be careful about that. You parents know exactly what I'm talking about. And you parents are responsible uh, for teaching your kids the way that they should go. Neither righteousness nor wisdom is ever found among the immoral. You see then two blanks. I'll give you those at the end of the message. Gasp. Number one, immorality is a trap ensnaring sinners causing hopeless grief. Let's consider the immorality here, particularly looking at verse 26. So let's look at verse 26 again. I find, remember he's on a deep search. I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Who does this woman refer to? Surprise! There's a lot of different interpretations as to who this refers to. I'll tick them off. I'm not worried about you giving them, you know, listing all these different options. I will give and walk through why, uh, how we should understand this. One says, this isn't a real lady. It's not a real lady. It's a figure of speech representing foolishness. And the, the word there is personification. So That This is a personification. It's not a literal woman, but it's somebody who's representing or a figure of speech for foolishness. A second is this represents all women. Now that's a popular view, isn't it? (laughs) A third is this represents the challenges that exist in marriage as a result of the fall. Remember in Genesis 3.16, when Adam and Eve sinned, where the Lord said that your desire, Eve, shall be for him. He shall rule over you. That tension that will always exist. These are incorrect interpretations, I believe. What is this woman? Well, here's the idea here. This is a, this is a specific kind of woman, an immoral woman. A specific kind of woman an immoral woman. I'll give you three reasons why we should understand this woman that way here. A specific kind of woman, an immoral woman. The first reason is well, a specific kind of woman is clearly dis- described here, not merely all women. Look at verse 26. I find more bitter than death all women? No, what's it say there? The. Woman, And this is the only place in the Old Testament poetic books where you have that word the attached to the word woman. The only place. This is a specific kind of woman. A second reason. She's specifically identified by definite characteristics. She is specifically identified by definite characteristics. Like what? Whose heart is snares and nets. Whose hands are fetters a third reason. And this is uh, where we would go to Proverbs chapter 5 to 7. She is linked, this is the third reason, she is linked with the immoral woman of Proverbs 5 to 7. That's where I give you this little chart. Wow, a chart for sermon notes. How exciting, huh? I want you to see this quickly. I did not come up with this. This is actually done by a friend of mine that 20 or so years ago, he and I took Hebrew exegesis of Ecclesiastes. Um, and now he's a seminary professor. And so he wrote this high-powered, high-octane article. I put it in small type down there. The woman whose heart, who is a snare, the identity and nature of the female figure in Ecclesiastes. Uh, you can get it online, but I would recommend that you not read it because it gets really down deep in, in the nitty-gritty of the Hebrew okay? But look at, the, look, look at the comparisons here. In Ecclesiastes 7.26, she said to be bitter. In Proverbs, she's as bitter as wormwood. She's compared with death. In Proverbs, her house and her feet go down to death. In Ecclesiastes, she is hunting snares and nets and fetters, and the sinner is ensnared. In Proverbs, the fool is ensnared by his immoral desires. He's ensnared by the woman when she hunts for his life. In Ecclesiastes, her heart is nets. In Proverbs 7.10, she has a crafty heart. In Ecclesiastes 7, her allurement, her allurement centers on her, her hands and her arms, her body parts, and Proverbs on her eyes and her mouth. In Ecclesiastes, the victim is described as a sinner. In Proverbs, the victim is entangled by his sin. In Ecclesiastes, the man who pleases God escapes her. In Proverbs, the man's actions are before the eyes of the Lord. In Ecclesiastes, the good man escapes her. And in Proverbs, wisdom delivers the wise from her. This is the third reason why this is referring to the immoral woman of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. The King James is described as a strange woman. Now, when we hear the word strange, we think different, weird, okay? But that's not what it's talking about. Language changes, doesn't it? Uh, and so the idea of the strange woman is she's immoral. She's outside the bounds of biblical uh, purity of being holy as God is holy. So keep following as I uh, work through this with you. Your next page in your notes there. This is the immoral woman of Proverbs 5 to 7. So how else is she described there? We're not going to turn there, but I want to give you seven things to help us see how else this immoral woman is described. This is who Solomon has in mind in Ecclesiastes 7. So seven things. Number one, this woman in Proverbs, the immoral woman in Proverbs, she is a married woman. She's not a single on the loose. She is a married woman. Number two, she lures She lures men into immorality, young men into immorality. Remember Solomon in Proverbs. Who's he writing to? My son. Solomon, as king, had the son growing up who would someday be king. Uh, He said, You got to watch out for these temptations to immorality that are out there. Let me tell you, they're out there. Number three, she's wealthy. She's wealthy. Talks about her her bedroom and how it's described, her Egyptian sheets and things like that. Number four, she is unfaithful to her husband. She's unfaithful to her husband. Number five, she seduces. She seduces with smooth, flattering talk. You are a handsome young man. Come with me. We'll enjoy love. We'll eat of it. Until the day comes, no one will ever find out. No one will ever know. Number six, she is physically attractive. She is physically attractive. And last, number seven, she is devoted to self gratification. She's devoted to self gratification. Question you might have, so we come back to Ecclesiastes then why does Solomon focus on? an immoral woman then. Doesn't he think that there aren't any immoral men? Maybe he does hate women, a misogynist. Maybe he does hate them all, okay? Well, who's Solomon speaking to again? He's speaking to young men particularly. And so he's going to warn them of the ways that sexual immorality can come to them. Let me give an illustration. 13 years ago, we were preparing our oldest, Ashley, to go to college, Bible college. All eight of us had to think there. How many kids do we have? Six? and Okay, yeah, there's eight of us, right? Um, we're getting ready, and this year, what are we doing? We're getting ready to send our last one off <laughs> to Bible college. And I am honest with you, I told Lydia what I told my oldest, Ashley. I gave her a warning. And this is the warning that I told Ashley. I said, Ashley, I'm going to tell you right now, this is what's going to happen when you go to God Bible College, okay? You are good looking. You can play the piano. And you are a good cook. Here's the warning. There's going to be some senior young fella who hasn't found a wife yet. And he's desperate. It's his last year. He's on the hunt. And he sees you because you're good looking. He starts to talk to you. He finds out, oh, and by the way, he's going in the ministry. He finds out you play piano. Ooh, a second plus. And he finds out you're a good cook. Hey, Ashley, let's go on a date. First date, will you marry me? (laughs) Ashley said, dad, stop it. That won't happen. I kid you not. I kid you not. When she came back from Thanksgiving break, she said, Dan, remember when you told me about that? I said, yeah. She says, it happened just like you said it would. (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) Because I was there too once. Now, when I went to Bible college, I was already committed somewhat to a young lady. Why didn't I tell Ashley I mean, why, why aren't the guys rising up right now and saying, what's your beef against men? Why didn't I tell Ashley, oh, you know, watch out for women, too, because those senior women, they're desperate. They know their time is short, and so they're on the prowl, and they're looking for some gullible young fella to, to sweep them off their feet. Why didn't I warn Ashley about those young women? Because they're not the danger to Ashley. Not that godly young men who are pastors and going to be, you know, need a wife that they're, they're, they're bad, okay? But you see the point here? Why is Solomon talking about an immoral woman? Because of who he's speaking to. And so we take that and we apply the principle for everyone here. Young man, this is what an immoral woman will do. Young lady, this is what an immoral man will do. We apply that principle. This is immorality. Number two underneath this, immorality is a trap that ensnares. It is a trap that ensnares. This trap that the immoral woman or the immoral man, as we're applying the principle, uh, is laid is described in three ways. The first way is it's a snare. It is a snare. What's a snare? Well, a snare is a trap, a trap to kill. That's That's the idea, the objective. It's hidden. It's unseen. It masks its true nature and what will happen. Immorality never shows itself for what it really is. Immorality never shows itself for what it results in. It makes itself look good, doesn't it? Makes itself sound good. It even makes itself seem a necessity of life that you owe it to yourself. And folks, we are hearing that more And more and more in our day and age. But all this is camouflage. Disguising the trap. A second way it's described immorality here is a net. Immorality is a net. What is a net? You might say, Pastor, you must have not much to preach about because you're just going into all kinds of detail. You need to understand Why did Solomon choose this picture of a net here? So what is a net? A net is this mesh of of strings, maybe rope, depending on how heavy you needed to make it. It has some transparency. It's not a solid block of material. It's just tiny pieces of material. So you don't see it until it's too what? Late. Some transparency. It's not easily seen. You can go right into it. Every time in the Old Testament that this idea is used in a figurative way like here, not of a fisherman throwing out his net to catch fish, but in figurative like this, it's always, always used of evil intent. Every aspect of the sexual tempter, the heart here, is involved in spreading that net, the mind, the will, the emotions, the desires. And so the immoral tempter puts in a lot of work in twisting the strings and tying them together and weaving the knot and making his or her net like what? The words that are said the appearance that they present themselves as, the smell, their best perfume or cologne, a nice touch that makes you feel good, a flick of the eyes, a slight movement, the moving of the mouth and the lips, the arrangement of the hair. Hints of this, hints of that. It's all what? It's a net. It is a net just waiting for the unsuspecting simpleton to swim right in and catch you. A third way that the Immorality is described as it uses everything it has. This is what's meant by hands. It uses everything it has to put you in shackles. The word here is fetters in the New King James, whose hands are fetters, are, are shackles. So what are those fetters, those shackles used for? Well, they're used to control. Used to control an animal. You put it in, in, in bondage or a man or a person. Once you're snared, once you're trapped, By this immorality, you are fettered. You are shackled. You're under its control and power. It's a chain you can't break. It's handcuffs that you cannot slip out of. It imprisons you in a dungeon-like prison. Torture, mental, physical, anguish, and suffering. And folks, prisons and Bible times were not meant, and did, they were not the kind of rehabilitative kind of institutions that our country seeks to make them to be. They were places where torture and punishment was inflicted. Number three, immorality's trap causes sinners hopeless grief. It causes sinners hopeless grief. The sinner, it says at the end of verse 26, shall be trapped by her. And it says in the beginning that uh, I find more bitter than death. So what characterizes a sinner? Three things that I put here to help us see what's involved with, what characterizes a sinner. The first is the nature or the disposition. Who you are, what direction you're going. Let's compare all this to maybe an automobile, okay? The nature of the disposition is like your GPS. You program your GPS to take you to a specific destination Well, the nature and the disposition, the the GPS of a sinner, it is a program toward self. It's what I want and what makes me feel good. Number two, the second thing here, the desires. The desires, uh, sometimes you need to, we don't need to do this in today's vehicles, but I remember doing this. You had to prime the engine. Get a little fuel in the carburetor to get it going. Our young people are like, carbahoo, all of our fuel injection and all that we have. The desires are primed, it's stimulated, they're loaded up. It just needs a spark to cause the engine to get going. The will, the will is the transmission. The will is the transmission. And the transmission of the sinner only has one direction, and that is straight into the trap and away from God. This is the sinner. And immorality's trap, as I stated here, causes sinners' hopeless grief. The word here is bitter. Sharp. It's deep distress. It's nasty tasting. It's horrible. It's hopeless grief. This immorality, it looks delicious. It looks delicious, but it has a bitter and nasty taste with horrible results. Nothing good comes out of immorality. You could write down Proverbs 7 and verse 27, where there Solomon says, Her house is the way to hell. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Thankfully, we have the righteous. Number four, it says in the middle of verse 26, he who pleases God shall escape from her. Righteousness enables believers to avoid the trap of immorality. So righteousness here. Let me give you some scripture along this line. Right down Romans 8, verses 8 and 9. Romans 8, verses 8 and 9. Paul there says that those who are controlled by the sin nature cannot please God. But then he says in verse nine, but you, you are not controlled by the sin nature. You're in the spirit because the spirit dwells in you. And because of that, you can please the Lord. A second passage, Colossians 1, verses nine and 10. Colossians 1, verses nine and 10. Paul there prays, Praise to God for the Colossian believers. He asked that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, controlled by truth, so that they will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Another passage from Colossians, verse twenty, chapter 3, verse 20. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Pleases the Lord when he sees his his children obeying him. The last passage, I'll have you write down, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 7. And then I'd like us to turn there. So put your bookmark, maybe, in Ecclesiastes 7, but uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, an important passage right along this line. 1 Thessalonians 4 in your New Testament, verses 1, I said 1 to 7, I should have said 1 to 8. But for this point on pleasing God, we see this right away in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more, grow spiritually, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. There it is. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So there we. Here Colossians again. You obey the Lord, you please him. What commandment specifically? Verse three, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentiles or unbelievers who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter seven then. The scripture there. When when you live to please the Lord, when you live to please the Lord, number two, what does that mean? You will love what God loves. The things that the Lord has affection for, you will have an affection for. And conversely, on the opposite end, if you're loving what God loves, what are you going to hate? You're going to hate the things that God hates. You'll want nothing to do with it. And what does God, how does God feel about immorality? He hates it. And when you please the Lord and you walk in righteousness, you'll feel the same way. You will obey his commands. You'll obey his commands. You will reflect his character. You'll be like the Lord. You'll seek him. You'll seek him. Number three, I have some blanks here. When you're righteous, your attitudes and actions conform to Christ. We could also add to that desires. Your attitudes, what you want, how you respond. Your actions, what you do. Your desires, the things that you long for. When you're controlled by righteousness, when you see this opportunity of immorality coming, you don't want anything to do with it because you love the Lord. You love the things of the Lord. Yeah, because we still have a sin nature. There's still some longings for that. But you've been working to crucify that flesh and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no opportunity for the sin nature to, 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 to fulfill its lusts. And so you say no, you slam the door, you pursue Christ. Righteousness enables believers to avoid immorality's trap, verse 26. Escape. You will escape from her. Reminds me of Genesis 19, 17, when Lot, remember Lot, his wife and daughters were in Sodom. God has warned him to flee, but they're just kind of hanging on. And we read there in Genesis 19, 17, that they, those angels pulled them. They said, escape for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't stay in the plane to watch. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And when you're walking in the the spirit, when you live a righteous life, you will escape the snare, the net, the fetters and handcuffs of this immorality. You'll see it. You won't be tricked. Your GPS, it's programmed for Christ. It's programmed for Christ. Your desires are primed for holiness, not sin. Your transmission, it's your desire. It has the gear not to live for self, but the gear for heaven, where you set your mind not on the things of this earth, but where Christ is, Colossians 3.1. You, when you have this righteousness control you, you'll see the camouflage hiding the snares. You'll recognize the telltale marks of immorality's net. You will avoid being shackled to an end more bitter than death. I didn't really say much about that phrase, but think about that. More bitter than death. What do we not want to do? I put a sign-up sheet in the back there in the literature table for who would like to die this week. Please sign up so that we can see who would like to sign up. More than likely, it's going to stay empty. We want to live, don't we? Not that we as believers are afraid of death. We know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The minute we take our last breath, we'll be with Christ. That's just the whole experience of it. It's painful. It's not fun. It's bitter. But what does Solomon say here? About immorality. It's more bitter than death. But we don't think that way, do we? And we should. Because the way of immorality, like we saw at the end of Proverbs 7, it leads to hell. Its end is more bitter than death. The second part of what Solomon says here in verses 27 to 29, this will go a lot quicker than what we looked at. But he says here, righteousness and wisdom are very rare. 27 to 29. Righteousness and wisdom are very rare. He's picking up from verse 25 when he talked about this exhaustive search. And he says, i verse 27, here's what I found, adding one thing to another to find out reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Solomon begins by stating his search for wisdom, and the result and assessment of his careful search. Among humanity, trying to find righteousness and wisdom amongst all humanity is like, what was the title of my message today? Without looking, do you remember? (laughs) It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's almost impossible, Solomon says, to find among humanity righteousness and wisdom. Now remember, he's primarily talking to men here. Men who are tempted by women to immorality. And so we need to apply that principle. When he says here, I found one man among a thousand, but among women, I haven't found that. Well, he didn't say among women. Look at the text here. He says, a woman among all these. And who is that these referring to? It's the these women of verse 26. It's the immoral women. And he's saying this, that kind of. A person, The immoral person. You will not find among the immoral person a single one who is righteous and wise. You will not find a single one of them who wants to do what's right and please the Lord. Who takes God's truth and correctly applies it to life wisdom. Because they're moral, their GPS, their primed, their transmission, it's all towards themselves. He says, among men, a righteous and wise man is very rare. One in a thousand. Let's put that in different terms. 999 out of a thousand are bad. This is not a good percentage, is it? And that's his point. 999 out of 1,000 will choose immorality. They will choose immorality. They have no desire to conform to God's holiness. They don't believe, accept, or obey God's truth. And as he has surveyed humanity, he saw most are consumed with immorality. They are consumed with sin. Why is that? That's why we have verse 29. Verse 29 tells us why that is. Truly, this only I have found God made man upright. God made man upright. God created mankind righteous. When he made Adam and Eve, what was God's assessment of that? Is good. And how long did they stay that way? Not very long but they have sought out many schemes. Instead, mankind chose to concoct a scheme to hide from God. Remember what Adam and Eve did? Hide from God. They wanted to just kind of sneak away, unseen and unknown, and like God, hopefully God won't see us. And every human being, ever since then, has done the same thing. They've been doing that ever since. Dear friend, you need... Christ's righteousness and wisdom. They are essential to living in this sin-cursed world. Because neither righteousness nor wisdom is found among the sexually immoral, you must keep yourself from it. You must keep yourself from it. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 5. I want to emphasize this. The tendency is to blame the immoral person. In this case, the immoral woman. She's the one who's at fault. Solomon doesn't do that with his son. And Proverbs, and so we must apply that in Ecclesiastes. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Look at, listen to verse 8. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and so on. And you say, verse 12, how I hated instruction. My heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers. I didn't incline my ear. Look at chapter 6, verse 25. Proverbs 6, verse 25. After describing the temptation of immorality, he says in chapter 6, verse 25, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. Where does Solomon put the responsibility? On his son. Remember, trying to find righteous and wise people in the world is like trying to find a what in a haystack? It's impossible. impossible. This is how almost all humanity is. And so Solomon says, your job isn't to Christianize the world. It's impossible. You do not lust after her beauty. And where does it begin? In your heart. One last chapter seven and verse 25. Chapter seven, verse 25. Similarly, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Again, begins in the heart. Don't let your heart go that way. And then you must also guard your actions. Don't turn that way. You are responsible. Our society, and all society, and all human history, it makes fun of wives, righteous, Christ-pleasing Christians who are committed to purity. It does. How is immorality portrayed in books, heard in music, seen in videos? It's normal. It's a need. You have a right to it. That's how it is portrayed. One man said this, Lusty carousing and fornication can be done in the privacy of one's own home. The foolish man of Proverbs, he went to the immoral woman where she was. Physically went there. Why? He didn't have a smartphone. He didn't have the internet. Now how can you do that? Just turn your phone on? surf the internet, and as a result, lives are destroyed. If you're married, your marriage is destroyed. So what should you do? First and foremost, if you haven't already, you need to repent of your sin, and you need to trust Jesus Christ. He can wash away your sin. He's the one who can free you from the net and break the shackles. You need to trust Christ. If you're a Christian... We still have a sin nature, don't we? And this is something we still struggle with. So how do you, what do you do then? You confess the sin to the Lord. You repent of it. You do the works that show you repented. I'll give some more specific examples along this line a little bit. You must determine to live a life that pleases Christ. I am going to please Christ, not myself. And this is something you have to continually, until you're with the Lord, keep doing. Some practical advice. I have seven points of practical advice, and seven's the number of perfections, so this can't be improved upon, right? Uh, tongue and cheek. First, determine today, now, right now, that you will be pure in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. Determine today, right now. Don't say, I'm going to work on that tomorrow. No. Guess what's going to happen between today and tomorrow? This afternoon and tonight. Determine today, right now, that you will be pure in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. Number two, hide God's word in your heart. What did the psalmist say? I have hidden treasured your word in my heart so that I won't sin against thee. Hide God's word in your heart. Instead of devoting all that time to gratifying your sin nature, get rid of it. Devote that time to pleasing the Lord by seeking him. It takes work. You've created a habit. It takes a long time to break a habit. But there's hope. You can. But you must make the effort. Number three, pray. Pray, Matthew 26, 41, that you will not enter into temptation. Remember what Jesus said? The heart is willing. The flesh is what? Weak. And what's the answer then? Pray. Pray that you don't enter temptation. Two biblical examples. Number four. Be like Joseph and flee temptation. Genesis thirty-nine, twelve. Be like Joseph and flee temptation. Joseph was in Potiphar's house. He was all alone. Potiphar's wife came. No one will know. Aren't I beautiful? She was married. She was wealthy. She was unfaithful. Sounds like the Proverbs 5 to 7 woman, doesn't it? And here's Joseph, a young man, unattached. No one will know. And what did Joseph do? He beat it. He got out of town and he left. Be like Joseph. Number five, be like Job. Job 31.1 Be like Job. Make a covenant with your eyes not to lust. I have made a covenant with my eyes, Job said. And I will not look longingly after another woman. Close the eyes. Focus on Christ. Number six. This is real practical. Don't surf the channels. Don't surf the internet. Don't surf social media. I didn't say get rid of your television. I didn't say cut your internet cable. I didn't say you know close your Facebook account or whatever. Because they didn't have them in Bible times and they had plenty of immorality, didn't they? Don't surf. What does surf mean? Just kind of mindlessly going through it. One thing to the next. Know exactly where you're going, get there and then leave. Know exactly where you're going. When you get there, do what you were planning and then leave. You cannot trust your sin nature. It is too much of a temptation. When you start surfing, that's when you start swimming with a piranha and you will get bit. When you play with fire, what will happen? You will get burned. Last practical point of advice this is from earlier in Proverbs, especially if you're married. Enjoy your spouse. We read this in Proverbs 5, actually. Enjoy your spouse and no one else. Enjoy your spouse and no one else. He or she is God's gift to you. And he's given specific things. Uh, Given her to you, him to you, uh, along to help with this. I want to close by sharing five words from the new testimony that I believe will be a great help to you. But before I share them, I want to share uh, three ways that they are very helpful. First, is they are convicting words. They are convicting words. Um, you're here this morning. You say you're a Christian. You've trusted Christ. Uh, maybe you've been immersed in water to testify publicly. You're following Him. You've been added to the church. And yet, think about what you think about. Consider your surfing habits. The friends and the attachments that you made. And you know, this isn't right. What I'm about to share are convicting words. They're also hopeful words. So that when you are ensnared, trapped and shackled, handcuffed by it, the situation seems hopeless, but it is not. These are encouraging words. You've been freed from sin. You can sometimes go back into it. And the truth of these words encourages you to confess those, to repent, and to do the first first works. What are those five words? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. These words that are convicting, hopeful, and encouraging. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It is an understatement to say the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. They had a lot of problems. And one of the problems they had was immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. There's the two expressions right up the alley of what we're looking at today. Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then here in verse 11 are the five words. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. They are convicting, because if you start going back into that sin, you think about, wait, and I should finish reading the passage, verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, and because you're being reminded, I've been washed, I've been sanctified, I've been justified, Lord, what am I doing with These are hopeful words because the Lord will not turn away or give up on those who are truly his children, and you can't give up. They're encouraging words because it helps you keep going in the direction that you should. Are you ensnared? Are you trapped? Are you you handcuffed? Trust the Lord. Now turn with me to the front of your sheet. This passage from Ecclesiastes 7 teaches us that neither righteousness nor wisdom is ever found among the sexually immoral. And so Solomon's point to us is these last two words here. Flee immorality. Because you'll never find righteousness and you'll never find wisdom among the immoral. Believer, flee immorality. Have no part with it. Because living in a sin-cursed world, you need the Lord's righteousness and the Lord's wisdom. Let's pray.